It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to the show. Heath Graham along with Don Charbon. Pat is on holidays again this week and we wish him the best. Heath, we are less than 10 days from the commencement of the 2021 season as we record this show. It's been over 600 since the last games were played in November of 2019. Where do you think the enthusiasm is for patrons, fans, followers of the Canadian Football League? Well, I think there was a lot of talk over the last at least 200 days, I would say, of the 600. Uh, A lot of optimism. And from what I see, uh, ticket sales have been going fairly well. I think there's a lot of people really excited to get a product back on the field. Um, I know the East, they're still looking at a cap of about 15,000 fans to start the season. Uh, Looks like we can potentially have some full houses out West. And uh, I think after all of the talk over the last 600 days, people are ready. It looks like people are, are... getting back into the spirit and are ready to come out and support the CFL. Winnipeg, of course, is a double-dose stadium. Mosaic in Regina is not. Do you think that's going to impact attendance numbers in each, i.e. Regina gets more, Winnipeg maybe not so? That's really hard to say, and I've seen people really supporting both of those decisions uh, and people really against both of those decisions. So, you know, I, I I know there was an article about the riders and mosaic and if people aren't comfortable in a a situation where there are going to be non-vaccinated people then it's probably in their best interest to stay home i I think we've all gone through mandatory masking and so many protocols that i certainly would feel comfortable in that situation probably wearing a mask Um, i have had both vaccines so i'm really ready to go there but as far as the the safety of myself and others Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to put a mask on if it's going to make me feel a bit more comfortable. Uh, In Winnipeg, like you said, they have to show their their ID that they are double vaccinated. Um, I think it's a great move by the province and a lot of support there. There are some dissenting voices, but all in all, I think the majority is going to be excited about just being able to get back in. You know, my, my hope is that by the bomber saying you have to have both vaccines, it will encourage more people to do so. And so that's a little bit of a, a di- different situation here in Saskatchewan with what's going on with the riders. They say that the fourth wave is likely going to be the wave of the unvaccinated. If you mix vaccinated and unvaccinated into a stadium, the unfortunate outcome is the unvaccinated, if there is anybody carrying the COVID virus into the stadium are going to be the ones that are most at risk. And in Regina, that could pose more of a problem than obviously in Winnipeg or out east, depending on what their rules are going to be. A big question, I think you mentioned it a little bit about some of the angst over it, but also what about the confidence of people that going to a stadium is safe, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated? How does one trust that it's safe enough to go to a game? We've mentioned it in this podcast concourse areas, lineups for bathrooms, going to concession stands. I guess the real challenge is you're hearing different ideas and philosophies from different provincial health and from Health Canada on this as well. Personally, I've started to 
ease myself back into some crowds. Uh, there was a street festival in Saskatoon this last weekend that I did attend completely outdoors, a uh, pretty decent sized crowd. But, you know, in that outside environment, it definitely feels a lot safer than I would be if I was in a movie theater or a concert hall or something like that. The majority of your time at a Riders game will be spent outside. Uh, as you mentioned, though, there are some um, situations where you'll be in a concourse, in a washroom, in a concession line, and that might feel a little bit more enclosed. But from a personal level, I'm I'm starting to feel safer. It's it's a good feeling. Do fear that a fourth wave may impact things and set us back from the progress we are making. But um, as somebody that has been fully vaccinated, it kind of alleviates the fear for myself. Uh, I'm still obviously concerned about uh, the safety of others and, and the potential for this to be very impactful on the people that were maybe medically unable to get vaccinated. I, I feel most concerned for people like that. What about game two? We know there's a lot of enthusiasm for home openers in Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Regina. What about week two when these teams go back at it? Well, I, I, we will have to kind of wait and see. Uh, like I said, I, I think there was the real fear of possibly losing the league or the league being something completely different coming out of this. So um, my hope that it has inspired the CFL fans to fully embrace this season. Um, you know, something to look at as well as you're only going to be hosting seven home games as opposed to nine in a regular season. So a little bit smaller window of opportunity to go to a game and uh, possibly a little bit more affordable for people that go to multiple games. Let's let's cross our fingers and hope that that enthusiasm is coming. Um, we, we have talked endlessly on this podcast previously about the impact of the single game betting, if that's going to draw more people, uh, if the movement to get more youth involved. I know especially the Elks have really pushed that this year with uh, free tickets to those under 18 for the uh, Labor Day game against Calgary. Things like that are going to drive, and it looks like maybe the league is starting to realize that the fan base was stagnating a little bit, and hopefully with a year off, it's a, it's a chance to reignite the fires and draw some new people in. CFL's promotional video, along with TSN, is Rise With Us. In Toronto, billboards are going up promoting the Argonauts. That, to me, is a signal that MLSE is committed to reconnecting with its fans because that's one of the things that people complained bitterly about was that the Argos, in terms of marketing, were almost invisible. Yeah, and that's something we definitely have talked about as well, is what does Toronto need to do? My hope is with the financial power that MLSE holds, that they can invest the time and effort to reignite the interest in the Argos. Um, we know Pinball Clemens as kind of the voice and, and face of that franchise is somebody that can inspire people. And, uh, you know, let's let's hope that that MLSE is on board with him and the vision to get that team back to the, the fandom that it deserves. The Argonauts draw very, very well on television. And in fact, the CFL will out-eclipse the NBA on TSN almost any given night. So it's not like there isn't a motivating interest from the television side of things. It's how do you translate that to get people to get on a train, go down to BMO Field, 
and participate in the game itself. Yeah, it's a real, I think, rebranding and reimagining of the game day experience. Um, you can attest to what the riders did a number of years ago with making it all about the fan experience. Um, you know, there was there were some lean years for the riders that I know you were very religiously attending those games regardless. But a lot of people had kind of lost some interest and, and they really made a push to make it about what it means to be a rider fan. And we've seen the positive impact over the last decade as to what that has done in Regina. And it may take an effort like that in, in Toronto to do the same. It almost takes a maverick leader and Jim Hobson being the one in Regina that when he came along, Saskatchewan Rough Riders were not playing second fiddle to anybody. And he really pushed that attitude. And I remember famously him being asked prior to the 2009 Grey Cup, what the Alouettes thought of the Rough Riders. And he says, well, I can't tell you everything they, they're thinking, but I know this for certain. They're not happy. It's us coming to town. That's the kind of attitude that you need to push that, hey, this matters. This is something. Yeah. And, you know, the the tradition of the Argonauts, they are a very long running franchise. They've got some great people not that far removed from their playing days that can really help reignite some of that passion for the fans in that kind of middle age category, right? You've got Damon Allen, you've got Pinball Clemens, uh, players like that, that, uh, that were part of a real, I think, peak time for, for Argos fandom in the last several years. Um, it has gone downhill a little bit, but also if you've ever been to a game at the Rogers Sky Dome, whatever you want to call it, it's very cavernous and not the most exciting atmosphere to be in with a without a sold out crowd so somewhere like bmo field is going to feel more full it doesn't have the nearly the capacity uh, that the sky dome does but it gives you that more intimate feel that you're a part of something even talking to paul woods as we did a, a few weeks ago he said that sky dome the argonauts were treated as second class citizens i saw that firsthand being there but the other thing, too, is the sight lines were just brutal. If Even if you were down in the 100 level, the, the sweep of the stands was so far back that it felt like you were kilometers away from the field, where at BMO, it's just the opposite. There's much more of a of steepness to the stands, and you're much closer to the game. Well, and, and like you mentioned, sight lines. You're at BMO field is basically built for soccer and football, which are on a similar field, whereas the Sky Dome, if the Argos were second thought, then it was a baseball stadium first, and you're trying to almost retrofit a football experience into a baseball stadium. And we've seen in the States, I don't know if there's any NFL team left that shares a stadium with a baseball team. If there is, it's very few. I can't think of any off the top of my head either. Likely last candidate would be the Oakland Raiders, now Las Vegas Raiders. They have a purpose-built stadium. We shall see if the CFL can maintain that that exuberance about being back, rise with us, and I think also run with us could be a second uh, campaign. Yeah, I think there's there's some great ideas, and and hopefully the league looks at all of them and and gets things sorted out and gets very good crowds into every stadium that they can. Of course, a hallmark of any CFL season in the last seven years has been the Grey Cup rematch. In 2021, no different. The Tiger Cats and the Blue Bombers will get the season started 
in Winnipeg. Thoughts on that? It certainly has become the tradition since 2014. Um, I do like the idea. I think it really gets the season kicked off with a a, a marquee matchup, if you will. Um, It gives those players that lost the Grey Cup a chance to come into the defending champions building and, and try to upset them on banner raising night. So it's a lot of excitement, I think, for both teams in that situation to come in. And, uh, and it's a great, great start for the season in, in my mind. What are your thoughts on it? I think if you're going to do that, you'd be better served at playing the game at the home of the team that didn't win the Grey Cup. So Winnipeg would be going to Hamilton. Now, granted, there wouldn't be a banner raising, but there would be some malice from the Tiger Cats with the Blue Bombers and their Grey Cup rings coming to town. I kind of think that might generate some fan interest as well. It's probably a 50-50, depending on which way it falls. I'm not a huge fan of it personally, because I think these teams are going to meet anyway. I don't know that you necessarily have to start the season that way. However, it may be another reward for being in the Grey Cup, as you know, next year you're going to be game one. Right. It's, it's kind of like NASCAR's Daytona 500 having the start of the season be the biggest race of the year. Um, it is something that they can embrace early on and advertise and get people fired up for. Now, I did a little bit of research on this, Don, and I've got some trivia for you about the uh, Grey Cup rematch games. There are three teams since 2014 that have played in multiple Grey Cup rematches on opening weekend. One team has never lost a game, and one team has never won a game. Can you name them? I will say that Ottawa has never lost a game, and Calgary's never won one. You're very close. Ottawa has never lost one. They have won two, and they tied in 2017 with Calgary to start the season. Hamilton was defeated by Saskatchewan in 2014 and defeated by Calgary in 2015. The other two that have participated have, have been Toronto and Edmonton in there as well. Okay. So visiting team, the, the losers of the Grey Cup are three wins, two losses, and one draw in the season opening rematch. That's not bad. So like I said, they, they like to go in there and spoil the party if they can. Now, the question is, this will be Hamilton's third trip to the rematch opening weekend. Will they get their first win in there or will Winnipeg come in and defend the banner raising and get their victory in week one? That's a great question. Overall, I think Hamilton's intact. Winnipeg, of course, is missing Harris. And does that mean that their offensive game plan changes because he may not be available? It's hard to say right now. Yeah, that is a big question. And we know that early on, Coach O'Shea said it was uh, uh, he was taking some time off. He did return to practice on Saturday the 24th and pulled up lame and was limping uh, partway through that practice. So I was pretty hesitant to buy what O'Shea was selling right from the beginning. And this kind of solidifies my thought that maybe Harris didn't come into camp 100%. And they are being super cautious to hope that he is ready. I mean, he still does have 10 more days till till kickoff. And if it wasn't something serious, I think he'll be ready to go. But um, they have to be very careful with how they handle this if they want a full season out of their running back. In other centers, uh, Calgary's Bo Levy-Mitchell has a groin issue, and there's a hamstring issue with Nick Arbuckle in Toronto. 
there's been a lot of chatter, and especially with all of these Achilles tears, and another one, of course, coming up in the last 48 hours, so that makes the total, I think, five Rough Riders, two Alouettes, and one Blue Bomber, so it's eight. And one Stampeder. One Stampeder, make it nine, yes, Charlie Power. Yeah. Overall, that's a lot of people that are on that injured list that would they necessarily be there had we played in 2020 is the question I guess I'm driving at. Yeah, I I don't think they would be. It seems like a lot of fairly significant injuries. I mean, no team is going to come through a training camp completely unscathed. You'd be lucky to do so. But I think we're really learning something about how impactful having that extra year off was. I had kind of hoped that guys were going to come in 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 good shape and have that extra year to maybe rehab some of those injuries. But it's looking like once you get into game mode and back into that range of motion that you've been missing, 600 days is a long time to not have that game action. And we're we're starting to see the repercussions of that. Craig Dickinson in Regina has pushed the team to do wind sprints at practice. According to the longtime followers of the team, the last time they did that was never. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think with these injuries, teams have really had to rethink what training camp looks like, right? And a lot of teams were really easing their linemen into, into things, getting a lot of extra days of stretching and light jogging and things like that to try to alleviate some of these concerns. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. I think it's probably a very stressful time for athletic trainers on these teams and trying to figure out how to get guys back up to game speed safely. It is unbelievable that we've had that many Achilles tears and we haven't played a single game yet. It really begs the question, was that time off too much? Was it too much to expect that these players would be ready to go? Maybe there should have been prior to camp, a week of conditioning, just where everybody got into shape a little bit more than what they had been. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like old training camps where people used to come in to get into shape, you know, the the old NHL days and the old CFL days where you put the pack of cigarettes away and get to training camp and start running again, right? So nobody smoked in these leagues, did they? <laughs> I must be thinking of something else. You know, and, and with these injuries and and like we said, kind of getting players back up to speed, it makes me wonder about a couple of running backs that are coming back out of retirement. We've got Calvin McCarty just signed with the Stampeders, and we've got James Wilder Jr. coming out of retirement to uh, to play with the Elks. So what kind of shape are those guys coming in? McCarty is 36 years old, getting up there for sure for a running back. You know, here's here's hoping that they come through this in relatively good shape as well. Charlie Power going down. I think the Stampeders were a little bit desperate. McCarty was available. The curious thing was he had retired from the Elks in the spring, and all the platitudes were coming out about a great career, and now he's with, in Edmonton's world, the sworn enemy, (laughs) Calgary Stampeders. I don't know if I'm an Elks fan how thrilled I am to see McCarty suit up for the red and white. Well, I mean, we've gone through that seeing players going from Winnipeg to Saskatchewan and vice versa over our lifetimes here as well. And it is a weird feeling. You know, watching Brandon Labatt leave Winnipeg to go to play for the Riders was a tough pill to swallow. It does go both ways. And and certainly with the career he had with Edmonton, it must be pretty tough to see him in the red and white for sure. 
Naaman Roosevelt, who was a stalwart with the Rough Riders for all those years, signs as a free agent with the Alouettes prior to 2020, now is in his first camp and he's not going to make the team. Do you think that a guy like Roosevelt would be a commodity to be picked up by somebody else? Now, of course, we've got COVID protocols that would delay when he could get anywhere after signing. Does any team take a flyer on him anyway? I definitely think somebody does. That's a pretty marquee receiver. Uh, I'm very surprised that he was cut. I, I was really anticipating him being one of those weapons for Vernon Adams in Montreal. So, um, you know, we're not in that locker room or on that practice field. So who knows what led to this? You know, we, we've also talked a lot about veteran players and you can't necessarily keep everybody. Um, you're still waiting to see how the Argos roster shakes down here as well. But uh, I think a, a consistent receiver like Naaman Roosevelt, somebody's going to have a look. I, I don't know. I can't even speculate which team at this point. Um, maybe Ottawa. We all know that uh, they're in a rebuild and uh, a veteran receiver like that can go a long way to help them out. I wonder if Winnipeg, because they're not exactly deep at receiver. Yeah, that's an option too. Um, Darvin Adams did go down with a potential arm injury. They're not sure what kind of condition he is in as of yet. They, they've been pretty quiet on that. Um, they've brought some new faces in. Uh, Cam Meredith, that's got a NFL career. A proven CFL commodity like Roosevelt is somebody that I think uh, Zach Caleros would certainly feel comfortable throwing the ball too. They've had a little bit of time working together, getting to know each other in Saskatchewan as well. So there might be some familiarity there for Zach. The British Columbia Alliance have made their choice about who's going to back up Michael Riley, and that's Nathan Rorick, the Canadian. Will Arndt has been released. Arndt, of course, had played in Ottawa before. Does Arndt find another home back in Ottawa? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, everybody, I think, is very confident in their starting quarterbacks across the league. Um, there are a few question marks on that backup role. I think it's fantastic to see a, a Canadian quarterback uh, getting an opportunity. Michael Riley's a great quarterback to learn from as well. So I'm excited to see a possible development of a Canadian quarterback again in this league. We've seen little flashes here and there. That is a great situation for him. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I think it's a a great system, uh, a great quarterback to learn from. And, and hopefully Michael Riley comes in with that attitude as well. You, you always have those fears that the starting quarterback doesn't want to lose the job and doesn't want to give those backups the time of day. Aaron Rodgers famously in Green Bay is somebody that hasn't been super excited about the, the Packers drafting quarterbacks behind him. You know, is this a situation where Riley's going to feel threatened or does he really feel confident in he's got a couple of seasons left in him and the Lions have treated him right and let's look at grooming that guy that's going to replace me. You can look at it two ways if you're Riley. One is you've got the salary that says you're the number one quarterback or secondly you better really outperform this backup because you are making that big salary. Yeah that's two sides of the coin there for sure. We're coming up to the big cut down day which is the 30th. Are we going to see some veterans being released, not because of talent, but because of salary considerations? The short answer is yes. I, I think there's a lot of decisions to be made. Um, you know, like we said, there's a, a full year of not playing, but it's another year of age added on to some of these wily veterans. And they're really going to have to look at that, that experience versus a young and less expensive option. So, um, you know, I, I 
I think we're going to see some bigger names that are going to be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, you know, somebody that's been around the league for a long time, in my mind, it's a name like Odell Willis. Very entertaining guy, so I hope he doesn't get cut, but it's it's going to be names similar to that caliber of player, I think, that are, are going to be um, sent packing. Whether other teams want to look at that veteran presence as somebody that they can pick up to jump in remains to be seen as well. There's some chatter coming out of Mosaic that Dickinson is thinking that likely it won't be until week three that they get their roster finalized the way that they think it should be. And I'm thinking that's probably across the league that most of the teams are viewing the first two games of the season as an opportunity to put some people into the game and see how they perform. And they may not be there in week three if they do not perform. I guess that's one of the downsides to not having exhibition games this year because traditionally we know the solidified starters play a very small role, uh, if at all, in the first game. They usually play the first quarter, get a couple of sequences in, in the second game, and then you're evaluating the rest of that talent. It's a very short season. It'll be really dicey to kind of look at those first two games in that feeling out process because if you're not set on your roster and you lose those first two, you're looking at 12 games to get back into it, and it might be a really tough grind for somebody um, if they start out the season unsure what they got. Um, you know, I think they've got a lot of evaluating left to do. If you go 0-2 off the start at any season, for the most part, that's a bad way to get going. But this year, especially for the West, because so many of their games are loaded at the front end of the schedule. And if you're losing home games to get going, that's going to put you behind most of the other teams. And if the East does come out and beat the West, then they're going home with winning records, it really creates an interesting dynamic. Honestly, that's something I'm really looking forward to this season is the slightly shortened season. I think it's going to really create some excitement and some urgency a lot earlier in the season than we're used to seeing. So not that there's throwaway games in an 18-game schedule by any means, but it's going to be extra important to get off to a good start this year. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.